More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Welcome to another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. I'm Kelly, your host, and glad to be with you as always. It would be awesome if I didn't need to be here because we had rid the world of sexual abuse and all its effects, but we know that in this lifetime, that is not something that's going to happen. So I keep turning on the mic and showing up. And if I have to talk about this and it's a necessity in the world, I'm glad to be able to talk about it with you. Well, a couple of things this week. It's kind of reactionary in a sense because if you're listening in real time, like when this goes on the air, you know that Josh Duggar was found guilty of possessing child pornography, which I think is a relief for those of us who've been following the Josh Duggar story and just following the details of his life for years now because of his show on TLC, or I should say his parents' show. Um, The thing that was really disheartening for me, and I'm not sure if you kind of experienced this the same way, but the thing that was really difficult to watch during the trial, I mean, the descriptions of the kind of sexual abuse material that he was viewing, that was really difficult uh, and sad. But I think for me, the thing that I keep coming back to or that I kept coming back to watching updates and articles, like reading different articles about the trial and what was going on was the number of people that were standing in support of Josh Duggar. And I don't mean people like the general public and people who don't know him, but his family and specifically his dad, his mom, and his wife. And I I think the reason that that was hard for me, and I think the reason that that would be difficult for a lot of survivors of sexual abuse is the kind of support that they were offering to Josh Duggar during this trial and the way that they were answering questions when they were on the stand. If you think of Jim Bob Duggar and if you saw how he was on the stand, just kind of like snarky and not interested in answering questions and selectively remembering things that his son had done or had not done, you know, if it was going to hurt his son's case, then he couldn't remember. And if it was going to help his son's case, he could remember perfectly. It was just very... It was difficult to watch, and the kind of support that they were giving him was a support that is always going to harm his victims every single time. Like, there's no way around it. It's not saying, you know, we love our son, but if these allegations are true, then we, you know, pray for justice, and we pray that God's will will be done in this situation, um, and that he gets the help he needs. Like, that's the kind of support that I think, you know, survivors can get behind. Like, we're not asking anyone to hate their family members. I don't think we're asking anyone to just completely 
you know, abandon them and have nothing to do with them for the rest of their lives, like unless that's what they want to do. But I don't think that that's really why it bothers survivors and why specifically it bothered me to watch this. It is that in order to support a person who has admitted to sexually abusing children, in order to support a person who was caught downloading and possessing child pornography, in order to support them, you have to discredit the pain of his victims. Those two things cannot be held in like attention together. Again, if it's a different kind of support saying, yeah, like I realize that if my son has done these things, they're terrible and he's hurt a lot of people. And yes, he is going to have to live out the consequences. However, I still love my son because he's my son. Like, I feel like we can understand that. We can get behind that even and say like, okay, they're grieving parents. Their son has, has done this and it's, it's not their fault necessarily. However, <laughs> the way that they supported him and I think that the way that his wife, Anna, has supported him throughout this trial is saying, we are going to believe that these allegations are false and really, the only way that you can support someone who has been accused of sexually abusing children and then accused of being sexually gratified by viewing images of children being sexually abused, like the only way that you can support them and stand by them like through all of this is to willingly believe, and I say willingly because honestly, I feel like it's a lot easier to believe that he did these things than it is to tell yourself the stories that you need to hear in order to believe that he did not do them. So this kind of support of Josh Duggar, the kind of support that says we stand behind him, you know, he says he's innocent and we believe him. And even though all this evidence exists, and even though we know that he has sexually abused little girls in the past and that the abuse was much more extensive than his family ever said publicly. I'm not saying that his family had an obligation to state publicly exactly what their 14-year-old son and 12-year-old son and whatever age he was when he started doing this. Like they're not obligated to explain to us in explicit detail what happened. But I believe that the public was misled about this case from the beginning. We were led to believe, oh, Josh touched his sisters while they were asleep. Nobody was awake for it. And he touched them over their clothes and he was just curious and blah, blah, blah. And we still, I mean, I know for me personally, I still believed, okay, he has a problem and he didn't get the help that he needs. So this is a problem that it's not just going to go away. It's not just going to disappear. And I think that we're seeing that now with this new case, the one where he was just convicted of possessing child pornography. Like obviously he has a problem and the problem was much bigger in the past than we were led to believe that it was. So when you add all of this up, the only way that you can really stand there and say, I support you 100%, I don't believe you did this, you're being framed by the government or whatever, the only way that you're able to do that is to just lie to yourself. And, you know, I, I mean, I get it. I, I get that it's a position that I haven't found myself in personally, and I know it would be really, really difficult. But we know people, you know, we've had people on this podcast who have had to turn in their own family members for sexually abusing children. And there just isn't a way to stand beside your relative or the person you love. There's no way to just stand beside them and completely support them 
without causing pain for their victims. There's not a way to do it. And you kind of see that in the Duggar's own family. You see it where some of the girls who were abused by Josh, like they're not in the same kind of relationship with their parents as they were before all of this came out. Um, Their parents, of course, stood by Josh and have stood by him the whole time. And essentially, if, if anyone, and I mean... I'm speaking based on what I've observed and I don't necessarily have this insider information, but some of their relationships are fractured because of the way that they handled Josh sexually abusing the Duggar girls and uh, family friend or babysitter or, or the multiple girls that he sexually abused beginning as far as we know when he was 12 years old and who knows what he was doing before then. But I think that that's what's so hard. It's hard because in order to stand by him in that way, you have to discredit victims, you have to invalidate their feelings, and you basically just have to walk on victims like, hey, you were a victim of sexual abuse, and now we're going to stomp all over you so that we can give our tender, loving care and comfort to the perpetrator who hurt you in this way. And that's really, really hard for victims of sexual abuse. And it just reminded me, I mean, the Duggars are a, they're well known to be a very fundamentalist Christian family. And most people would describe the kind of Christian background that they come from as cultish. Um, And you'll see a lot of that in the news right now. And you know, when I first started watching the Duggars, I thought, oh, they're just a very like legalistic Christian family, but they just want their kiddos to dress nicely and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But as the years have gone on, you know, it's become more of a thing of a dysfunctional kind of fundamentalism, a dysfunctional kind of Christianity, and one that has definitely caused harm to their children. It's also, unfortunately, as a lot of us know, as survivors of childhood sexual abuse within the church, it's also a type of fundamentalism that protects abusers and sort of leaves victims out to dry. Like it's the the tenderness, the loving care and compassion always seems to be heaped on the perpetrator of these horrible deeds and acts against children. And if you look at Josh Duggar's family, you know, earlier in life, they the way that they supported him, the way that they did not alert authorities that their son had molested uh, five little girls, the way that they kind of protected him. It was really all of this compassion and care for Josh Duggar, the perpetrator, and not really compassion, tenderness, and care for his victims. And in fact, as I mentioned earlier, there are girls, some of the daughters of Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar, who are not in great relationship with their parents anymore because of the way that this was handled. But I think it just kind of reminds us of a lot of the churches that we came out of, or if you were sexually abused within the church, it might remind you of, you know, you being kind of left out in the cold and watching the people that should care about your pain and your suffering and what's happened to you, um, watching people who should care about that and who should care about comforting the people who have been victimized sexually and by someone who is turning out to be a monster. And instead of that, uh, you see perpetrators being 
coddled and comforted and stood beside over and over again. Now, if you talk to people who have spent much time in a courtroom when it comes to sexual abuse cases, they will say that the majority of the time, if a pastor or a church leader shows up to court, they're typically there in support of the perpetrator rather than the victim. And it just, it's sad. And and seeing that kind of played out in the courtroom, it was just a reminder kind of of what we're up against, I think, a lot of the time. And I, I mean... I'm preaching to the choir here because if you listen to Survivor Sanctuary, that means more than likely you are somebody that you're close to was sexually abused as a child within the church. And you've not only seen it happen, but you've experienced it firsthand where you've had this horrible thing happen to you. And then rather than getting the care and the comfort from church leadership that you need, and rather than getting the support that you need to be able to work through your trauma and to be able to heal, rather than getting that, you kind of get this, well, you know, it's your job to forgive. And this poor man of God is just really sorry, or woman of God is just really sorry. And, you know, to hold this over their heads is unscriptural. And so we just need to forgive. And and move on from this. And uh, I mean, some, some people have even had their church leaders go as far as to accuse them of taking some kind of part in their own sexual trauma. Like what part did you play? What were you wearing? And how did you tempt this man of God? It's just very typical of what we deal with when it comes to sexual abuse within the church, especially within fundamentalist churches. And look, I've heard people say, in fact, I've read an article, um, it was entitled, I Survived the Christian Fundamentalist World that Created Josh Duggar, and probably a topic for another time, but I'm not sure that the fundamentalist world necessarily creates child predators as much as it just allows them to thrive. And if Josh's family had in the very beginning alerted the authorities, hey, this happened, our son has been doing this. I mean, in this article, the writer implies that he somehow got away, you know, with sexually abusing his sisters and and another girl. He got away with it, you know, and was never prosecuted because his family protected him. But honestly, he was 12 to 14 years old when he was sexually abusing the girl. So he was never going to stand trial as like an adult being, you know, on trial for sexually abusing little girls. That's not something that would have happened. So I think that it's a little bit far reaching to say that. Um, would he have gotten in trouble? Yeah. I mean, I think that if child protective services had been involved, then at least, at the very least, there would have been counseling for his victims. And at the very least, there would have been counseling for Josh himself, which, you know, if you can counsel children young enough, if, if they exhibit signs of uh, inappropriate sexual behavior, or sexual abuse of children that are younger than them. If you if you can get them help and get them therapy early enough, it seems like that's really the only time that you have a prayer of being able to potentially change the course of the way that their life is going. Once someone has started sexually abusing children and they reach the age of an adult, it is very, very unlikely that they're ever going to stop. In fact, there's not any evidence that, that suggests that child molesters and pedophiles can change. Like the vast majority, I would say, don't want to change, but there's 
there's no evidence that somebody can just say, oh, I was once attracted to children and preyed upon them. And then I just, you know, I went to therapy and now those desires are gone and I've never hurt anybody again. There's no evidence that a child predator will ever change. So the earlier you can get a child therapy, the better. Now, I know that the Duggars did do some kind of therapy for Josh and for his sisters, but it was really more of church-based and biblical counseling. And I'm not scoffing at giving people advice biblically or spiritual advice, but when it comes to going through a trauma like sexual abuse, you need professionals who are dealing in that arena with sexual abuse, who know what they're doing, who have some degrees to back it up and know how to help walk a family and victims and even the perpetrator through something like that, especially because, you know, Josh, again, was 12 to 14 years old, um, at least when these incidences with his sister happened that we know of. And at, at that age, you know, he's not getting arrested. He's not being sent to prison and he's not standing trial as a child. He would likely have spent some time possibly in like a psychiatric hospital, or possibly in a treatment program for people his age. Like he would have gotten counseling and he would have gotten therapy. But I just think that it's another sign of how like the Christian fundamentalist world is kind of, it is protective of predators. And we just saw that in the trial. We saw that with Anna. It wasn't like, it wasn't like Anna, you know, we thought that she should storm out of the house and be like, I'm leaving him forever. The scumbag that I married that how dare he do this? Like, it's, it's not like, I don't think that the majority of us were thinking that's what you should do. I mean, maybe we were thinking it, but it wasn't just like, well, I'm going to support him and stand behind him because he's my husband. It was, I'm going to hold his hand as we walk into court every day and just like, let it be known that I think that Joe Biden planted this on his computer. And it's just very far reaching. And it's a kind of support that is going to be oppressive to the victims of the sexual abuse every single time. It is always going to leave them high and dry in favor of offering support, offering kindness, offering grace and mercy to the perpetrator. So where does that leave the perpetrator's victims? When you're, when you're pouring out all of this grace, when you're pouring out all of this mercy, and you're pouring out all of this love and support for a person who has perpetrated really, really horrifying crimes against children. There's nothing left for the victim because you cannot, again, I said it earlier, I'll, I'll say it again. It's not something you can hold in attention like, oh, well, you know, I have to be supportive of, of both the perpetrator. You can't hold that intention together. Now, if you were saying, yes, I'm, I'm going to get this person the help that they need to be held accountable for their crimes. Like I'll never stop loving my family member. However, I, I believe that it's important that they live out the consequences of the crimes that they've committed. That perhaps can be held in tension with, I support the victims. I simultaneously love my family member and, you know, pray that justice is done and pray that they get the help they need. And I support victims. I think those two can be held in tension, but not the, I'm going to hold hands with my child molesting and child pornography watching husband as he heads into the courtroom and absolutely refuse to believe the evidence that's right in front of my nose. That kind of support for perpetrators always harms victims every single time and leaves victims with 
with nothing, like no comfort and no support because you can't do those things simultaneously. I think that something that the Duggars are getting wrong here, and I think that something that the church gets wrong every single time they mishandle an allegation of child sexual abuse, what we're getting wrong is that holding a perpetrator accountable is not a lack of grace. It's not a lack of mercy. It's not a lack of Christ-like love. It's none of those things. To hold a child predator accountable for the crimes that they committed is literally the most merciful thing that you can do for them. Because what's waiting for them on the other side of eternity is so much worse than any punishment they're going to experience right now. And there's something that we get wrong in churches and as Christians. It's the idea that forgiveness means we just accept and forgive anything and everything a person has done, and that wipes their slate clean. Now, it might, forgiveness might wipe a slate clean when it comes to a relationship with God or when it comes to like, okay, I'm repentant and I'm sorry, like your slate can be wiped clean in that sense, but it does not absolve you of the consequences of what you have done. And I've mentioned it on podcasts in the past. I've said this before, but but I will say it again. Forgiveness is not a consequence eraser. It's not. It never has been and it's never going to be. If somebody walked into your house today and took out a weapon of some kind and murdered your family in front of you, um, you can forgive them all day, every day. Your pastor can be like, well, we need to support the perpetrator who did this because, you know, he just had this moment of weakness and, you know, he committed a crime, but we have to look, that's not happening in churches. A pastor would say, yeah, we had no idea that this person was capable of something like this and our hearts are broken for his family and we're so sad about what's happened. And then when the person is arrested, it's pretty much a given that, okay, we can forgive them and and not hold a grudge against them for the rest of our lives. However, they still are going to have to stand trial. They still are going to have to go to prison for the crime they committed. And the punishment is going to fit the crime. Like they murdered people and this is how many years they're going to be in prison. And no Christian person has a problem with that. And that's kind of what gets me with other crimes. You know, nobody has a problem with the fact that a person has to serve time in prison. But when it comes to the sexual abuse of children, then all of the sudden, all those consequences need to be erased. And honestly, there are a lot of reasons for this. I know there are a lot of reasons for this. But I think that one of the biggest reasons is because we don't understand the consequences of childhood sexual abuse. We don't understand the consequences of what sexual abuse does to human beings. We don't get it. And I've been reading some articles over the last couple of weeks and really fascinating articles. Um, One of them caught my eye from the Philly Voice, and this came out last month in November. And the title is History of Sexual Abuse Linked to Long-Term 
brain damage. And it goes on to say that, you know, people who experience sexual abuse or sexual assault can suffer a lot of different effects, physical, emotional, physiological, psychological, um, as a result of trauma. And they're at a higher risk for PTSD. They're at higher risk for having difficulty in relationships. They are more likely to have problems with drugs and alcohol, to attempt suicide, to have eating disorders, to have detachment disorders, and the list goes on and on and on. However, we're now discovering that adults who have a history of childhood sexual abuse are having other problems in their brain, and childhood sexual abuse and sexual assault is linked to brain damage. Um, This one study I was reading about was specifically about women, but we have a higher risk of developing a type of brain damage that is linked to cognitive decline, dementia, and stroke, and just a bunch of scary stuff. I've been reading a lot. I've had like stomach issues my entire life, and I don't remember ever having stomach issues in my entire life until after I was sexually abused. I, I didn't complain about stomach aches. I didn't complain about feeling sick. As far as I know, I was a very picky eater, didn't really like a lot of foods, but after I experienced sexual abuse for the first time, that's the first time I experienced really terrible anxiety and it manifested in my body as stomach pain. And I've recently had to have surgery for some of the gastric issues that I've had my entire life, like since I was six years old and just building from there. And like we see what sexual abuse does to people, not just in our physical bodies, but emotionally, spiritually, psychologically as well. And it's crazy to me that something that can last five minutes, in some cases, even less than that, or something that, you know, you can have an experience. And I do know that there are people who have experienced long-term sexual abuse. And um, I'm not taking away from that in in any way whatsoever. But a lot of people's experience with sexual abuse is not something that was super ongoing and long and drawn out. You can have an experience that lasted 30 seconds. And this is something that can cause you to develop some of these problems that I was just talking about. And I think it's interesting that in the church, we're well aware, you know, we talk about it all the time. Satan is like a roaring lion. He roams to and fro seeking whom he may devour. And, you know, the enemy comes to lie, steal and kill. And we acknowledge that fully. But then in one of the ways that it's easiest, like in one fell swoop to lie, steal, kill, and do all of those horrible things that the Bible says the enemy is roaming around trying to do, the easiest way to accomplish that in one boom fell swoop is sexual abuse. Any type of abuse, yes, but specifically sexual abuse. It is so easy to cause a plethora of lifelong problems and issues, and spiritual problems are included in there. Um, It is so easy for that to happen in just minutes, even seconds sometimes. And again, some people do experience long-term abuse, which is just even more harmful. But it just seems like the church cannot comprehend or they just won't acknowledge the severe damage that sexual abuse does. And I guess because maybe it's hard to picture in your head how something just happens and then all of a sudden your whole life is different forever. Like maybe because it's hard to understand that. I mean, maybe I'm not being hard enough on people, but I'm just to give the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it's just difficult to understand how bad sexual abuse really is if you haven't experienced it for yourself. 
But it is crazy to me that it just seems like the one crime where there might be some lip service. Yeah, you know, that person deserves to be in prison forever. But it's so easy to say that about people that you have never, ever met who have perpetrated horrible crimes against children. It's so much easier to say, you know, lock them up and throw away the key. But if it's one of your deacons, if it's your lead pastor, if it's an assistant pastor, if it's somebody from the church, you are not as quick to say, lock them up and throw away the key. Then it becomes, oh, brother so-and-so needs our prayer. Brother so-and-so needs this and he needs that. Um, While this whole Josh Duggar child sexual abuse material trial was going on, in my little community, another church here in South Florida um, had a youth leader who was accused of and arrested for sexually assaulting one of the teens from his youth group. And again, same thing. You know, it's not the Josh Duggar trial. It's a little lower scale than that. But this person and his family are very, very prominent in the community where I live in South Florida. And he, it turns out, had been accused four months prior to being arrested um, by a father in the youth group who sent a letter to the lead pastor of the church. He sent a letter and said, hey, my son is experiencing grooming behavior from this youth leader. And I'm worried because this guy is still around young people and he definitely shouldn't be. And they sent a letter and warned the pastor. And because the child wasn't um, named, like his, it was like more of an anonymous letter because the child wasn't named, the pastor made the decision to merely confront the youth leader who just denied everything. And he let him, without anything else, let him continue to lead Bible studies for, for young men and in teens and just keep doing everything that he'd been doing. Four months later, he sexually assaults a boy in his youth group and now is in jail (laughs) awaiting trial. And same scenario. I just, he was believed simply because he said he hadn't done it. So we're just going to give every child abuser and child molester the benefit of the doubt. And then, you know, sitting in a courtroom with his wife right by his side, even though more victims have now come forward, more victims have come forward. This letter, you know, came out into the open and she's just like, I love my husband. I'm standing beside him. It's just like, it's disheartening. It's disheartening. And I'm not taking away from the fact that, yes, it's very difficult to just have one of your loved ones accused of something like that. And I I want to acknowledge the difficulty. I do. Because you don't stop loving your family member just because you've learned something horrible about them. And it's going to take some time for that. And I have have compassion for that. I do. Um, But at the same time, is it the kind of support, like we saw with the Duggars, is it the kind of support where you're going to bat for that person, even though there's so much evidence stacked against them? Why are we going to bat and fighting for predators over and over and over again and leaving their victims out in the cold? That's literally something that Jesus did not ever do. That's not the example that we have from Jesus himself. It's not. I don't know where we get it from, but that's not it. And I think that this whole Josh Duggar trial was just another reminder of how far we have to go 
as a church. Yes, there are some churches who get it right, and those churches encourage me when I hear about them. But you hear, but like what you hear is few and far between. You know, those stories are not in abundance in this world of church sexual abuse. You know, the majority of the time, what we hear is churches are backing up predators or they're letting them off the hook easy. And that's just something that I saw really reflected in the Josh Duggar trial and something that was just very triggering, like to see his dad get snarky with prosecutors and basically just not want to answer any question that was going to hurt his son's case. And you know what? Be honest. Like God is always going to be honored with truth. And that's something that I'll come back to over and over and over again. God is always honored with the truth, even if the truth is horrible, because he is truth. And that's something that I think that we need to keep in the forefront of our minds when it comes to, you know, people that we thought were godly who are suddenly, you know, accused of horrifying crimes and want to cry and, you know, say they're sorry. And, you know, this just isn't me. It was a moment of weakness. It was this or it was that. I think that what we need to keep in the forefront of our minds is the truth is the truth. And God is always honored by the truth. So it's okay, you know, to share what the truth is. As bad as it might make a predator look, a predator who you thought that you knew and was your friend. Um, And in addition to the truth always honoring God, I think at the same time, forgiveness, radical grace, whatever the preacher in skinny jeans wants to call it today, does not ever negate the consequences of sin. Sin has consequences. It just does. And sin, when it is a crime against a child, has consequences. And the most merciful thing that you can do for someone who has decided that this is the kind of life they want to live, a life where they are sexually preying on children, the most merciful thing that you can do for them is allow them to live out the consequence for what they've done, is allow them to receive the the punishment that is due to them for the crime that they've committed. That is merciful. You're snatching them out of the fire, so to speak. And if you can't save them, and all signs, I hate to say it, I don't hate to say it, but I know that a lot of people disagree with this. All signs point to you can't snatch them out of the fire because you can ask you know, hundreds of pedophiles who are imprisoned. And the first thing they want to do when they get out of prison is go and pray on another child. Like you may not be able to snatch them out of the fire, but what you can do is protect other children from them. And if children aren't something you're super concerned about and that doesn't pull at your heartstrings at all, <laughs> like, first of all, you might want to talk to the Lord about that a little bit. But then after that, If you're not interested in protecting children, at least protect your favorite predator from themselves. You know what I mean? Like if you're Josh Duggar's dad, protect Josh from himself. Like he needs to be separated from children. He needs to be separated from children more than likely for the remainder of his life. That is the sad reality. But when we say it's a sad reality, we need to remember that it is a reality. (laughs) Like it just is. And people who prey on children are not known to change like ever. So the best thing for Josh is to be kept away from children. 
And instead, you saw, you know, his dad fighting tooth and nail, not wanting to be truthful in his testimony. And I'm sorry, but even the judge called him out. You know, if you can only remember the good things that are going to help your son, and then suddenly if something's not going to help him, you have complete and total amnesia. Like, that's just BS, you know? It just is. So let's call it what it is. And to see him fighting tooth and nail, and then to see Anna just standing beside her husband, and I think this is the most telling thing. Right before they show the video of just some of the horrific things that he had saved to his computer and had watched. Right before they started showing those in court, Anna left the courtroom. She left the courtroom. And and I don't think that there's anything else that like really can depict what this is any better than that image. That she turned her eyes away from seeing the damage that had been done to children so that she could continue to show up to court every day holding her husband's hand and acting like it was all this big government scheme against him. You cannot support a child predator and support a child at the same time. You can't. Those two things cannot exist together in the same universe. And I don't mean by support, again, you can love a person who has done something horrible. We are human beings. We love our family members. That's just the way that it works. And when we find out that they've done horrible things, it's really difficult and our hearts are broken. And you're not just going to magically stop loving your family member. It's not going to happen. But at the same time, you can love them and hold them accountable. And I would venture to say that loving them and holding them accountable are the same thing. They're the same thing. So that was my take on what happened with the Josh Duggar trial. It was hard to watch, but it just reminded me so much of, it it was just basically like watching what plays out in our churches over and over and over again, except that instead of it just being like, oh, Josh's church is standing behind him, it was his, his dad and his mom and his wife and even some of his siblings. And it's painful to watch. It's painful to watch because it's just a reminder of what's happening in the church over and over again, and how far we still have to come. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. So you can join me on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook page. We have a group there. Search Survivor Sanctuary Podcast, and you can request to join. I'll add you to the group, and then you can give me your thoughts on the Josh Duggar trial or anything that you want to talk about. We would love to have you there. Until next time. Stay strong, keep fighting, because it is going to pay off eventually in the end. And I'll catch you back here on another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.